We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. Jesus, we sing to you because there is no one like you. No one who has compassion like you have compassion. No one who has wisdom like you. No one who has power like you. No one who has love and grace and mercy like you. You are the Alpha and Omega. You are the beginning and the end. And you are the hope of the world. And you have brought us, each of us, into this room this morning because you want to fill our lives with the hope that only you can bring. We ask that you would do that now as we turn our attention to your word, that you would speak to us by the power of your spirit in such a way that our lives would be changed, that we would leave this room different this morning. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to welcome you to Resurrection Oakland. Uh, my name is Brent, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, especially want to welcome you. If this is your first Sunday visiting with us, we're so glad you're here. Uh, maybe this is your first time back in church in a really long time. Uh, maybe this is your first time ever in a Christian worship service. We are so glad that you're here. Uh, we, our hope is that this would be a community where you could come and explore the claims of Jesus with others. Uh, this Advent season, we have been looking at the songs of Christmas, and I said last week that the opening chapters of Luke's gospel, um, as we read about the Christmas story, they're like a musical. Everyone is singing. They learn about the good news of Jesus' birth, and their response is to sing, and Mary sings, and Zechariah sings, Simeon sings, and the angels sing, and so for these four weeks, we're looking at these four songs. And, uh, you know, one of the things that songs do is they prepare you. When I was in high school, uh, I played on my high school basketball team, uh, which I know many of you are like, of course you did. You look so tall and athletic, Brent, you know, <laughs> shocker. Uh, you know, some of you are like, when did you stop growing? What happened? Um, uh, but one of the things our team would do is before games, we would listen to songs on a mixed tape. And if you don't know what a mixed tape is, it's basically like Spotify, but just it takes a little more work. I also, uh, I have what's called a very, uh, my car is vintage, is how I like to think. It has a cassette tape player in it, so you can, you can come see that after the service if you want to. Um, <laughs> I dream about the day when I'll have a car that doesn't have a cassette player in it. Uh, we would listen to these songs uh, to get us ready for games. Um, songs like, you can't touch this, yep. It's a good one. Songs like uh, Whoop, There It Is. Anybody remember that song? That's a classic. Songs like Eye of the Tiger. And uh, these songs would prepare us. And that is my hope for us this Advent season as we look at these, the songs of Christmas, is that they would prepare our hearts. They would ready our hearts uh, to celebrate the good news of Christmas. Now, today we're looking at uh, what is the shortest of the four songs, and it's the Song of the Angels. Uh, it's so short, it's, it, it, it just only comes in one verse. 
Um, it's at the very end of this passage, but I, I want to read the rest of it just so we have a little bit of context here. Let me invite you to give your attention to the reading of God's word from Luke 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Cornelius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, and here's the song, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God because this passage tells us what Christmas is all about. What is Christmas about? Well, when the angels show up and they sing about Christmas... They sing about peace. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Peace. Christmas is about peace. And if you want to understand Christmas, you have to understand this peace that the angels are singing about. And that's what I want us to talk about today. We're going to consider three things about peace this morning. First, the peace that we long for. Second, the peace that Christmas offers us. And then finally, how this Christmas peace can actually change your life and my life. So let's begin with the peace that we long for. There's actually two pieces that we long for. The first is this. It's peace within. We long for peace within. Uh, this week I read an article written by Freddie DeBoer, who is a, a college professor. Uh, he is, he's a secular person, not, not a Christian. And he wrote this article. I love the title of this article. It's You Can't Fake It. And this is what he said. He said, I've been increasingly preoccupied by a basic question. Here's the question. Why is everybody such a wreck? <laughs> and then he goes through a list. He says, first, we have this vast intellectual architecture telling us that physical attractiveness, that physical attractiveness hierarchies are cruel and gendered and unfair. And all of that is correct, but we still care about being hot. And we still judge each other about it. And our theories and our papers and our humanities seminars seem entirely inadequate to ending that condition. He said, second, we've got a self-help culture that constantly counsels that everyone is a ray of brilliant and unique light that alone can shine the way through a dark world. 
Third, we've got an increasingly woke world of marketing. And he says the, the main message of marketing is to affirm you. And he gives an example of uh, a gym near his house that has a sign outside the gym, and it says, join the body acceptance movement. <laughs> he said, you know, if we actually all accepted our bodies, there wouldn't be any gyms. Pretty, pretty funny. Uh, apparently not to you, though. It's funny to me. Um, uh, finally, he says, we've got social media that lets us craft and share an idealized uh, vision of ourselves that is curated and managed to the millimeter so that we can present exactly what we want to present to others. And he goes through, he says, why are we a wreck? He goes through this long list of things that we're trying to kind of do to solve the problem of feeling like we're a wreck, and then he ends the article by saying this. He says, but none of these things work. He said, I'm beginning to wonder, is this the human condition? And the point of the article is, we're all a wreck, we're all insecure, no matter how successful or put together you are, deep inside every one of us is this sense of inadequacy. We kind of wonder, am I enough? We walk into a room and we're constantly wondering what other people are thinking about us. Uh, we live our lives in comparison to other people. Uh, we, we, we're driven by the approval of others. There, there's, no, there's no peace within. There's no peace inside of us. And psychologists have actually coined a new phrase. Many of them say that we are now living in what they call the age of anxiety. The age of anxiety, that our lives are riddled with worry. We worry about our future. We worry about our finances. We worry about our love lives. We worry about our health. We worry about our children. We worry about our retirement. We worry, will I have enough at the end? And then you throw on top of all of that the fact that we are facing a mental health crisis that we've never seen before. Depression rates that we've never seen before. Suicide rates that we've never seen before. Anxiety, unlike we've ever seen it before. I, you kind of get the point. I mean, I, I don't want to spend too long belaboring this because I don't, I don't think I need to spend too long convincing you that there's no peace within. And we, we long for peace within, but, but we, we can't seem to grasp it. And that's not the only peace we long for. Here's the second one. We long for a peace without. I mean, by that I mean a peace that is outside of us. Peace in our city. You know, Oakland is a very beautiful city, and it is a very broken city. There's a lot more pain than there is peace. A lot of division, a lot of anger, a lot of hostility, a lot of inequity, a lot of injustice, a lot of violence. A lot of fear. I've, I've seen a lot of people leave the last couple years because they can't take it anymore. Because there's, there's too much pain and there's not enough peace. And some of us in this room, we, we don't have the luxury of moving, actually. Some of us in this room, we don't even have the luxury of letting our kids go outside to play of our house because we're afraid of gunshots and violence that's happening right outside of our front door. We long for peace in our city. We long for peace in our world. Uh, peace in Gaza and Israel. Peace in Ukraine and Russia. 
We long for the killing to stop, the hatred to stop. We long for the images of innocent lives being taken to stop. And we've seen images unlike we've ever seen them before in the last month. We long for peace within. We long for peace without. And you might be thinking, okay, this is the part of the sermon where you're going to tell me how Christmas offers us that peace. Actually, no. Christmas says there is a peace you and I need more than either of those other two pieces. Uh, And that brings us to the second point, the peace that Christmas offers us. What is this peace? What is the peace that the angels are singing about in Luke 2? It's not peace within. It's not peace without. It is peace with God. This is the peace that Christianity says we need more than any other peace. It's the peace that the angels sing about. It's the peace that we sing about when we sing the very famous Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It goes like this. Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the newborn King, Peace on earth and mercy mild. What is that peace? God and sinners reconciled. The peace that Christmas offers to us is reconciliation with God. Peace with God. Do you know that the Bible says we are born into this world not at peace with God? This is not the way most people talk about God, by the way. It's not a very cool way to talk about God, but it is the way the Bible talks about God. The Bible ta- is the way the Bible talks about you and me. It says that we are born into this world with enmity towards God. That we are at war with God. Romans 8, 7 says that the natural disposition of our hearts is a deep hostility. That's the word that it uses. Hostility towards God. And maybe you're thinking, listen, that's a, that is strong language. I'm not hostile towards God. I don't hate God. I'm just not all that interested in God. And if that's you, um, let me just push back for a moment. And say, either you're not being honest with yourself or you don't know yourself very well. Because deep within every single one of us, there's a hostility. Thomas Nagel, who taught philosophy for years at NYU uh, and is an atheist, he talks about his own belief in God, his own unbelief in God this way. He says, I'm talking about the fear of religion itself. I speak from experience. Being strongly subject to this fear myself... I want atheism to be true. He says, I want it to be true. And I'm made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God, and naturally I hope that my belief is right. I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. My guess is that this cosmic authority problem is not rare, I doubt there is anyone who is genuinely indifferent as to whether there is a God. And I love his phrase, cosmic authority problem. Cosmic authority problem. My children came into this world not wanting to do what I asked them to do. This is how all of us come. Thomas Nagel, is simple. what he's saying by this cosmic authority problem is, if there is a God, that means you can't just live however you want to live. And he's not neutral about that. He's not indifferent about that. 
And if you know yourself at all, you know you're, you're not either. There's a hostility. Um, let me give you another philosopher here, um, Kevin McAllister. The, 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 the great philosopher Kevin McAllister. You didn't know that uh, you, were, you were, you know, getting philosophy in you when you were watching Home Alone. Um, if you haven't seen this movie yet, I'm, I'm not ruining it for you. You've had, a, you've had your fair chance to see it. But remember the scene where, um, remember the scene where he wakes up and all of his family is gone? And the night before, he had been so angry at them that he said, he said, I wish I didn't have a family And the next morning he wakes up and everyone is gone. He'd been accidentally left behind, but he thinks his wish has come true. And his first response is he's terrified. He says, I made my family disappear. But then he starts thinking about, you know, how they treated him the night before. And everybody was bossing him around and telling him what to do. And he says, I made my family disappear. And the music starts playing and he's running around the house going, I'm free. And he's you know, eating whatever junk food he can get his hands on. This is all of, why is he so thrilled? Because no one is there to tell him how to live. And there is, you didn't know this, but there is a Kevin McAllister <laughs> in every single one of us. There's a Thomas Nagel in every single one of us. This is all of us. I mean, for those of you who are here this morning and you do not identify as followers of Jesus, you have questions and doubts and maybe a long list of objections to Christianity. You say, this, this is why I could never believe these things. Would you consider that you are actually not as objective as you think you are? That like Thomas Nagel, there's a part of you that doesn't want this to be true. Why? Because it means you lose control of your life. It means you can't live however you want to live. It means that God steps in and starts saying things about who you sleep with and who you marry, what you do with your money, how you spend your time, how you kind of rank your priorities in life. You're no longer in charge of your own life. And who could possibly be objective about a claim like that? Who could possibly be neutral about that? There's a hostility towards God. Some of you are just You're like squirming in your seats as I'm talking about this. You're like, I could never believe that. What is that? You know what that is? (laughs) It's that hostility. It's that enmity. There's a war inside of us with God. There's no peace with God. And for those of us who are Christians, we're not off the hook here either. Please don't think you're off the hook. Because we say that we love God... But do you not see that there's a residual hostility in your own heart that's still there? Why why is it so hard for us to pray? God is the most glorious and important person in the universe, and he wants to spend time with you and me, and we just sort of shrug our shoulders and go, I've got too many other things to do. Why is it so hard for us To obey. There are still parts of our lives that we say, God, you cannot touch this. We say, God, I promise I'm never going to do this again. And then a week later, we're right back at it. Why is it so hard for us to trust God? Life goes sideways. Things happen that we don't expect, that we don't like, that we don't want. And our first response is to say, God, you know, how could you? Why would you? Do you not love me? Are you not for me? 
There is a hostility in the human heart and the wonder of Christmas is that God came into this world to make peace with us. He came to make peace with those who oppose him and who reject him and who want nothing to do with him. And I just want you to think about this for just a moment because we do not see this in our world today. We, we don't see anything like this. What happens when there's hostility between groups of people? Racial hostility, class hostility, political hostility, religious hostility. What do we do with our enemies? I'll tell you what we do. We demonize them. We try to talk as poorly as we can about them to everybody else who will listen so that they'll get on our side and think they're just, that person is just as evil and terrible as we do. We, we cancel them. At worst, we kill them. This is what we're watching happen between Gaza and Israel. God is not like this. God does not cancel or kill people who oppose him. You know what God does? He comes to make peace with them. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. In Jesus Christ, at Christmas, God came into this world to reconcile you and me to him. He came to restore our relationship with them that had been severed and broken because we had gone our own way. God came to make peace with us. And the radical claim of Christmas, the radical claim of the song of the angels is that this is the peace we need more than any other peace. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess that some of you in this room are thinking, are you kidding me? That's the peace we need more than any other peace? Are you paying attention to what's happening in the world? Are you paying attention to what's happening in our city? How can we possibly need that peace more than any other peace? How about a peace that will actually help? That will actually change things? That will actually make things better? Christmas peace can. Peace with God can. And that's the last point. How does this peace change our lives? It does two things. First, it makes you an agent of peace without. It, it makes you an agent of peace in the place where God has put you. Please hear this. People who have peace with God are the most, are the most, uh, will, will, people who have peace with God will not be at peace with the way things are in the world. People who have peace with God will look at the world and say, things are not the way they are supposed to be. This is not what God, this is not what God intended. I'll give you an example of this. We actually um, sang it earlier in uh, the song, Oh Holy Night. Such a great Christmas song. A little history on that song. It was written in 1847 by a guy who lived in France. Uh, it did not make its way to the U.S. until 1857, 10 years later, when a guy named John Sullivan Dwight heard it. John Sullivan Dwight was an abolitionist and a Christian. 
And he heard that song and it captivated him. You know why? It was the second verse, actually. The second verse. Let me read it for you again. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break. For the slave is our brother. And in his name all oppression shall cease. John Sullivan Dwight heard that song. And it began to spread throughout the Christian church in the northern part of the U.S. Began to sing about how what Christmas means is that Jesus Christ has come to set humanity free and that Christmas has real social implications for the world. Like implications like the cessation of slavery and oppression. You see, Christmas means that God looks at the world. He looked at all of the brokenness and the suffering, all of the inequity and all of the injustice. He looked at all of the poverty and all of the pain. And God did not run away from those things, but he ran towards those things. He came into the darkness. And the more that you and I understand peace with God, we will run towards those things as well. We will begin to look at every part of our lives, our money, our time, our career, our neighborhood, our city, and we will ask questions like, where does God's healing need to come? Where does God's shalom need to come? Where does God's peace need to confront the world's pain? And how can I be a part of it? This is what peace with God does to us. It sends us out. It ought to. And here's the second way it ought to change our lives. It doesn't just make you an agent of peace without, but it gives you peace within. There is nothing like peace with God that can give you peace in here. Let me show you this from the text. The angels saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace with God means you get God's favor. The the literal translation of those words is peace to those with whom God is pleased. Christmas means that God is pleased with you. I think most of us, we, we live in suspicion of that. God is pleased with me? God is pleased with you. That's what it means to have God's favor. Colossians 1, 21 says it this way. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, hear this, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. How does God look at you? When you are in Christ, when you receive the gift of Christmas, when you receive the gift of the Savior, God looks at you as holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. When God sees you, he sees you as perfect as he sees Jesus. 
God loves you to the same degree that he loves Jesus. God the Father is as pleased with you as he is with God the Son. How pleased is God the Father with God the Son? More than I can tell you this morning, actually. God is pleased with the Son. And God is pleased with you. He delights in you to the same degree that he delights delights in Jesus. And when, when you begin to understand that, it will bring a peace, in, in, a peace within that nothing else can bring. If, let me ask you a question. If you believed that God really loved you like that, can you imagine the sense of confidence and joy and security that you would walk around with every single day? Can you imagine how free you would be from having to prove yourself? Having to live for the approval of others, having to prove yourself in your career? You would be so free. And and let me tell you, your worry and your anxiety would begin to be healed, not fully. That, That happens in glory. But you would begin to see some progress to know that the God of the universe loves you like this that he has you in his hands, that he would, he, he would not let anything come into your life that will not ultimately work for your good. The more you understand peace with God, the more you will experience the peace of God. I'll finish with this. Uh, in his book, Hidden in Plain Sight, Mark Buchanan tells the story of a Rwandan woman whose only son was murdered. And her life, as you can imagine, was consumed with grief until one night there was a knock at her door. She opened her door and there was a young man about the age of her son standing there. And he paused for a moment and then Mark Buchanan tells the story this way. He says, the man looked at her and said, I am the one who killed your son. And since that day, I have had no life, no peace. So here I am, placing, I'm placing my life in your hands. Kill me, I'm already dead. Throw me in jail, I'm in prison already. Torture me, I'm in torment already. Do with me as you wish. And to her own surprise, this mother found that she did not want to kill him or throw him in jail or torture him. But in that moment of reckoning, She only wanted one thing, a son. I ask this one thing only of you, she said. Come into my home and live with me. Eat the food I would have prepared for my son. Wear the clothes that I would have made for him. Become the son I lost. And Mark Buchanan writes, and so he did. Do you know that's the invitation of Christmas? God does not welcome good people who deserve his love. God comes to make peace with his enemies. He comes to make peace with people who want nothing to do with him. He comes to offer us his peace and to invite us into his family to live as his loved sons and daughters 
who have his favor. That's the invitation of Christmas. And it's the invitation of his table. God says, I have seen all of the ways that you have opposed me. All of the ways that you have run from me. All of the ways that you have rejected me. And rather than rejecting us, what did God do? He rejected Jesus. On the cross, Jesus got the wrath of God so that you and I can have peace with God. So that God can say to us this morning what that woman said to that person who killed her son. Come and eat with me. Come and know my love and my grace and my favor and come and know how well pleased I am with you. I just want to ask you this morning, where are you in peace with God? Do do you hope you have peace with God? Or do you know you have peace with God? Do you hope God loves you? Or do you know God loves you? Do you hope you have God's favor? Or do you know you have God's favor? Christmas says you can know it. And it's not because of anything that you do. It's because of everything that Jesus has done for us. Christmas says you can know it. And if you've never known it, if you've never, ever known it, you can know it this morning. You can know it right here, right now, at this table. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to those on whom God's favor rests. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread And after he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he blessed it, saying, this cup represents a new covenant, which is shed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for this table, for the peace that is offered to us in your Son, for the ways that you have run after us even when we have run away from you. Would you give us faith to believe this morning? Help us to know your welcome. Help us to know your peace. Help us to know your love as we eat and drink together. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.